Previously on The Tony Kornheiser Show. Thanks for doing what you do. Please never retire. I don't know. Pat wow. Collins. Pat Collins just went out. Thank you, Carl. Pat and Collins? People, what? People should do. Don't you get a newspaper? I, I did not see that. No. I, it didn't address the real question. What's going to happen to the snow stick? I was right. just the snow yeah. stick the goes stick. on. Uh, camera said. No. Camera took it in his two he big, does not moist hands. <laughs> and camera just said. not the same. <laughs> the Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. So I, I got a number from Leon. I got a number for Pat Collins from Leon. Oh, fantastic. And I called it because I wanted to chat with him. But his mailbox was full and you couldn't leave a message. So that was it. So if Try again. Yeah, I might. Yeah. I might. But, uh, you know. I wanted to chat. Sure. But he wasn't picking up the phone. calls, yeah. I understand that. Ask him if he approved of the snow stick being handed over to, <laughs> to Cameron. Cameron. Or was, Cameron that a, was, that a, was that a company move? Corporate, Cameron, corporate made Cameron it just stuck his hand and said, I'll, I'll be taking that. You know. Hmm. <laughs> That's mine now. From your cold, dead hands. <laughs> yeah. From Doug Harrison um, in more oklahoma i'd like to invite my fellow littles in the oklahoma city area to my movie my movie debut Five Thousand blankets starring anna camp this is monday december 12th that's today to the warren theater in more oklahoma to greg greg garcia please consider the 20 to 30 seconds of my screen time in the movie as my official audition tape <laughs> for the upcoming lachiserie hallmark christmas special and if we're still playing, I got the lyrics wrong. I always thought ACDC was singing Dirty Deeds and the Thunder Cheeks. Well, you'd be wrong. <laughs> you'd be wrong, Doug. But that is today, <laughs> the Warren Theater in Moore, Oklahoma. Let me get to a couple of things here. Um, and I normally would review some of the football. I was very surprised to read that Navy got rid of their coach. Yes, they fired Stunning. Them. I was very surprised to read that. Um, Neo Matalolo is, I believe, how it's pronounced. He's been there for like 15 years. Yeah. Has the- His career record at Navy is 109 and 83 at Navy. At Navy. At Navy. You know, your career record over 500 at Army and Navy, you know what you're doing. Now, I grant you he's 11 and 23 in the last three years. That's right. Back-to-back four and eight seasons. Didn't it? And, and they lost that game because the kid fumbled. The kid was at the goal line and he fumbled. It was tragedy. You know, and... And he was weeping as a result of it. He's a freshman or a sophomore or something like that. And then Army kicked the field goal. Okay, it it was good. I watched it. It was fun. If that is the tipping point to getting rid of that coach, that coach was very good. Didn't that surprise you? And remember remember about, I'm I'm dating myself, but I think it was about five years ago where he was young. Right. He was a hot commodity because they they had gone like eight or nine and one. Right. Right. And he turned it down to stay at the Naval Academy, yeah, and, which was a right. big deal. I mean, that, at yeah. the time, it was national news. I sort of thought he earned a lifetime exemption from yeah. being fired. I thought he was really good. I, I think you even... have to look at this as an opportunity, though, too, because you're playing for a different standard other than just the wins and losses. Right. And you have a, you have a chance to bring in a, another leader who could be inspirational for another 20 years or however you want to look at it that way. Okay. I, but were you surprised? Yeah. But I, again, not just wins and losses. And it's going to be how you respond if you do have that fumble. What are your thoughts? Oh, I, when I read the copy last Don't night. Don't you do the color on the Navy football games or am I mistaking uh, with someone else? Uh, it might be mistaking me with, okay. with someone, someone else. Okay. Else. But, but I, from the initial copy, I couldn't tell whether he stepped down and said, yeah, I want to retire or whether he'd been fired. It was very well, unclear it just, in the copy. I believe they fired him. 
That's, I think it was yeah, one of those deals we've agreed to, to meet in the middle on this, and we're right. parting company. Okay, you know we'll, we'll pay you out or whatever that is. But there was no, as as praising as the words from the athletic director were, there could be no mistaking the fact that they yeah. made this move. Yeah. Well, I think he took him like, or else it would have said he would have said, "I've decided to step down." Yeah, right. Yeah. He didn't uh, do that. Didn't he take him to like six bowls or something like that? They I mean, were just hugely successful, fantastic. particularly for a military it's academy. It's so hard to do well. Yes. The, the, you cannot recruit. It, you, you're not recruiting. It's different. Yeah. You don't have your choice of players. There's no name, image, and likeness at the service academies. <laughs> right. And there's no, yeah, I'll take the semester off and just yeah. fool around and play football. Oh, there's something dangling at the back end. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and then you're in – then you're – actually in, in charge of saving our lives yeah and your heroic figure and what so, is that is that like a five-year commitment yeah Isn't that what Stallback had to deal five with five or six yeah well, that was a hundred years ago I don't know what it is now but I think it's certainly a commitment so that that stood out to me and the match Michael the golf what did you think of golf. it oh my I watched goodness golf under the lights prime time it. baby it's like I'm a kid again watching <laughs> Duval taking on T-dubs yeah uh, battle to bighorn no uh, you know, everything from the late 90s, early aughts is back. <laughs> and it, when you watched the tee off, at the, you know, whatever time it was, because we put the kids to bed, it looked like the Blair Witch Project. You just saw these shadows yeah. under their eyes. Tiger camera work was terrible. great. Shaky the, camera work. The camera Tiger, work was Tiger great. Tiger was the noticeably limping. Uh, it's, it just, there's something about Golf at Night that's it's awesome to watch, but at the same time, it felt cold. It felt like the... Why are you wearing shorts? It felt like the dark world was closing. So that's the eternal question Why for every, and every golfer. Is, is it shorts or pants you always wake up is it pants kind of day or is it going right. to be a quarter zip shorts and maybe take it off with the back nine uh jt answered those questions he went he went full hoodie i think it was probably a cashmere uh cashmere hoodie for what looked like the last couple holes but um it made thomas and spieth look like kids yes. they made they had this weird round table where everyone had to pay tribute to tiger beforehand which felt odd because they were avoiding the one question that you thought would be on the table for a you know no questions off limits kind of talk but everyone had to talk about their first round with tiger the golf was you know well tiger tiger's friendly with all of them but particularly friendly with justin and Thomas. you can tell when he's sitting there going like nice shot t i mean for golfers you see when they're playing fast and they have their own carts that are going about 40 miles an hour yes. where uh, Spieth looks like he's holding on at 10 and 2 for dear life going down the fairways. <laughs> Tiger's a little bit more adept at taking some of those turns. Uh, well, yeah. Not in all part. motorized vehicles. <laughs> not in all. Uh, but you just see, like, they're, they're hitting chip <laughs> shots in seconds as their friends are walking their life. That's cool to see. Uh, and Thomas is always going, like, nice shot, T. Uh, there's a lot of stuff they missed. Uh, you have this unique thing where you have uh, young parents in Spieth, in Rory. Thomas just got married. Uh, like the day before, or yeah. Something. Tigers. Uh, Charles had a great quip about uh, you can try it again. Uh, <laughs> up in the air as to what he's referring to there, uh, but you have these young dads where you want to say, "Tiger, this is a chance where you can actually be the the father in the room. You've taken on this this paternal role with these young pros." Uh, and start talking about what it means to be a professional. How do you practice? How does having a kid change your practice schedule? They didn't do any of that. Tiger is. I don't know Tiger Woods, so I'm speculating here, but it's a lot of years of watching him. I'm sure privately he's a warm and open guy to people he likes. And in the last 10 years or so, more and more than ever before, and with these young guys, not with guys his own age, with these young guys. But with the camera on, Tiger ain't that guy. Like he's not giving with the camera on. So when you have an event like this built around Tiger Woods, 
There's a flaw right there because he's not going to be that guy. He's not Phil. No, he's not Phil. Phil right. is missed on these things. And also, Charles was – I don't know who's doing the play-by-play, but it, Charles was cut out of the whole thing. You, you need to have Peyton Manning and Charles Barkley on the course. they got to be hitting shots. They are so open and wonderful and warm yes. and fuzzy – and they are the ones you totally. need to have, right? So you just saw this exactly with Rory. Rory looked like he was being led on a march through the motions by whoever the power B was, saying, you're the number one player in the world. You have to show them to do your do part. He wasn't, Nike told him, told him you got to go. And there, and there is great shots of, you know, he has a swoosh on his back shoulder, so you can see that. I mean, it's, a, it's branded content. Speed yes. is out there with his AT&T phone for these 5G segments, which, of course, is when their feed goes down. It's all of a sudden a little shaky. You can't hear or see anything. Uh, but no, you're, you're missing the undercard. You're missing uh, the, the sort of celebrity X factor. You realize these guys are great golfers, and in that sphere, they're, they're very comfortable and engaging there, but they're not, they're not necessarily show people in how That's they right. deliver that product. No, and by the way, anybody who looked at, at that pairing, anybody who wouldn't have bet on Spieth and Thomas was an idiot because they actually had motivation. <laughs> the others had none, and they've played together a million times in Ryder Cup, and they don't ever lose, sure. right? The worst thing for the TV angle of this, they got the lead early, and then you have these you know, these games. They won games. three holes in a row. They have these games, three, and all four. of a sudden you're trying to do the chesty move of like, uh, that's good, pick it up, and of course Thomas then misses the, bir- the birdie putt. You know, the thing that you miss by having it under the lights is it's hard to see the wedges don't react the same. It's hard to gauge the distance. They're missing wedges inside of you know eighty yards on par fives, and the putts. See, they don't. See, they didn't seem to read the breaks as well. I, I doubt that any of them had played that course before. Well, maybe uh, yeah. Tiger had because he was in Tampa for a while, right? No, I think they. I, there was some general awareness. The cool thing is when they're asking about like, "Hey, am I aiming it at that tree?" There are some great one-liners about Michael Greller, the caddy for Spieth, where you always you always sort of have that therapy session as he's talking through yeah. every shot. He's like the kindergarten uh, teacher. Yeah, and, and from a golfer standpoint, they're super aware of their numbers, ball speeds, like. You're getting info you wouldn't normally get, but in some ways, I, I would have rather had the quarterbacks from the summer. Entertainment, but let's understand, everything that isn't news or an event from the White House on television entertainment. is entertainment. Yes. That's how many eyeballs can I get? Can I, be, can I deliver product and make it entertaining? They delivered the product. It wasn't, to me, particularly entertaining. Uh, one comment about, well, two about football yesterday. Minnesota stinks. Oh, my God. They stink. What an egg. Looks like they should have been underdogs, yeah. right? Yes. Chuck Todd. <laughs> they stink. Yes. Vegas second. knows what they're doing. I mean, it's a 10-2 team, and no one has confidence in them, and they just wow. show you why. Yes. Wow. Wilbon will tell, we'll have Wilbon on. Wilbon will tell you that he picked Detroit to win the whole time, and he believes Chicago's going to beat Minnesota the, the next Kids at our house around. were very excited to see the Lions. They're, yeah. they're in a big cat phase. Um, and also, their unis are good. They yeah. have good-looking unis. Yeah, and Jared do. Goff, who we all made fun of, He's... even though he had gone to the Super Bowl, Jared Goff is resurrecting his career in Detroit and is pretty good. And Detroit is on a heater. They're now six five, and five seven. Of, yeah, five of six, I think they've yeah. won. Something like that. Yeah. And didn't they have – was, it was towards the end of the game. They're biting people's kneecaps. They were trying to, to run out the clock. And it was it was like third and short, and they did a tackle eligible. Yeah, threw it to a big fat guy on the right that's side. The best. But it was yeah. like, I mean, wow! And he made a good Dan, catch. Dan Campbell, that's the head coach. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. No, crazy. he's actually insane. Crazy man. And at his size, if you get in his way, he'll Terrifying. kill you. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, like six six two eighty, and he's ripped. Yeah. One other thing to say, I'm I'm very surprised at this. The Philadelphia Eagles are significantly better than I thought they were. 
Now, you can say this is all Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts was under a microscope, and Jalen Hurts has justified anything that anybody ever said good about him this year. He's the MVP of the league this year, Jalen Hurts. But they're doing things that amaze me. They have running plays six, eight times a game where nobody touches the running back for six to eight yep. yards. <laughs> then nobody touches them. Yeah. Miles it's Sanders wide, ran for like 150 yesterday. It's wide open, yep. which leads me to believe that whoever Nick Sirianni is, smart. he knows what he's doing. I'm telling you that people are not touched for six to eight yards. Nothing. Yeah. Yeah, it's, oh. I struggle to take – Sirianni is one of the guys who wears the visor – at all times, right? Well, so does the guy at Arizona, I, I which know, hasn't helped him. I know. And and Josh McDaniels. Yeah, hasn't helped guy. him. I just I've struggled to take when you got the visor on in like 32 degree weather. I'm like, what are you doing? And but, the guy from the Bears last year. Oh, yeah. That they oh, fired. Yeah. Well, we know Matt how that somebody. ended. What was his name? He was terrible. Oh, Current guy is Wilbon even... hated him. Yes. Wilbon wanted him fired for I years. I think it's just paying tribute to Jim Zorn. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the guy? You got to protect not Matt the Ryan because Matt Ryan's a quarterback. No, it's, it's Matt not Matt Suey. Who no, was Matt a, Suey played for a long time for the Steelers. Matt Eberflus. No, that's, that's the, the new current. That's, that's the, the new guy. That's Matt the current. Uh, here we go. The list of coaches. Sorry, uh, it takes so long. He's, he's working. You got to anticipate Matt Nagy. Yes, Nagy. I think it's that was Nagy. Brief. Wilbon hated him. We say Nag- Nagy. Uh, so as long as we're talking about Wilbon, let me tell you, Wilbon joins us when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is sent to us by Mike Bailey, who writes, Greetings from Big Time, Big Pine Key. My name is Mike Bailey. I'm a musician in the Florida Keys. I tried to pay my brother Mark to write something clever to help me get my songs on the show. He has skills I'm short on, but he couldn't be bribed, having worked and lived in the D.C. area in the 80s. I think he's too big a fan to risk ridicule. Anyway, I've been writing instead of practicing since I picked up the Music Monkey in the late 60s, so it's time for me to bust out. If anybody needs more info on me, please share my email. And James Garner's best movie was Murphy's Romance. Um, also, P.S., my part- partner Lenora is a, also a fan now, having subjected her to countless. you got to hear this. This is called Seven Miles Into the Sun. It plays in Michael Wilbon, who is in Chicago. Let's start with your uh, cause celeb for months now, Caleb Williams. He won. He won the Heisman. He won decisively. Um, I thought that maybe Max Duggan would catch him and pass him, but he didn't. And he's a deserving winner, is he not? He had a great year. Not a great last game, but a great year. Truly great uh, last year, Tony. Uh, This season, that is. He's got one more because he's only a sophomore. Right. And uh, last year, of course, freshman at Oklahoma transferred when Lincoln Riley went west and with his coach. And, uh, yeah, I, mean, I, think he's, I think his stats are like 41 touchdown passes and five interceptions. Now, he had a really good year. He got drilled yeah. by Utah in the last game, but he had a really and, good year. And but, he ran 327 yeah. yards for another 10 touchdowns. Yeah, the Washington team could use someone exactly like him. Like yeah. him, they could. But I have well, a question. He was Tony, wearing... You and I discuss all the time 
how many how many quarterbacks do we think in the league ought to be starting playoff caliber quarterbacks? And it's probably like fourteen. Or yeah, 16. fourteen or sixteen. I wouldn't go any higher than half. Yeah, and so you know, yes, Washington and some other teams could use him, but he's he's got you no. Know, there's no. He's got to play one more year. Early like the NBA, he's got to go one more year. So we, Mike and I talked about this yesterday. He's wearing a very attractive brown-based, double-breasted mm-hmm. suit. The only thing that stands out, which is unattractive, is on the breast pocket is a giant Gucci logo with the word Gucci in white. And I said to Mike, what are you, how can you, what, what? How? And you felt the same way. You felt his dad had taken him to buy a Zania suit. This is what, he's, he's Tony, you forget what it was like to be 18? Yeah. 20 in his case now. I've forgotten, yeah. Uh, Matthew is going to ask me for a carbon copy of the suit later today. Yeah. It's just... And that, that's, that's 20 years old. Wow. That's a deal. You're trying to do what your father wants you to do. Right. He made you're a nice speech. You're old man now. You're in L.A. and you just won the Heisman. Yeah, it's, yeah. Your life is good. Yes. Your life is good. And by the way, how cool of him to shout out his high school in his speech and the watch party. I don't know if you've seen the uh, any video no. of the watch party when they announced it at Gonzaga. It's just thrilling. By the way, one of his receivers was a receiver for Navy. You know, they made a point to that in the Army-Navy game. And he was he was wishing Caleb Williams great congratulations on having won having won the Heisman. Um, That's great. So the World Cup, you are Mr. World Cup compared to me. I am not Mr. World Cup. If it's on, I will watch. I will concede that it is artistry a lot of times, and it's when they finally shoot and score, you go, "Wow, that was great." But you watch it a lot. You you're glued to the set. We have the I semifinals am. coming up. Who do you like now? Who do you when you say to yourself these these are the winners right here? Well, I mean the thing is you got a, a true Cinderella in this in Morocco. Morocco. Yeah, and I mean I just find that to be fascinating. Um, obviously, it's hard to just have Argentina in the field and, and and go against Argentina, and you know Argentina France would be a fascinating yes. Uh, Finals. So with Croatia, France, which would be a rematch. So I, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't predict. I don't get involved in that like I would an NBA or a Super Bowl or NFL. I don't, I don't, I don't know enough about that. Um, I am fascinated by certain stars, certainly by Kylian Mbappe, who, if he was to win a second World Cup at 23 years old, as just handsome and as charismatic and as great as he is he's the biggest athletic star in the world no 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 boys and girls it isn't lebron james it isn't steph curry it's killian mbappe if he wins if he if, yeah. and even if he does if he gets to the finals I mean, he's the biggest athletic star in the world so let let's get to the critical question here you're you have talked about this for years. You have rejected the notion that Lionel Messi could ever be the best player in well, soccer without winning a World Cup. Without winning a World Cup. Yeah. Now, he, I don't want to say he won the last game single-handedly, but he was, boy, he was oh, impactful. Boy, oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. 
if he gets his team to the finals, do you cut him a break or does he have to win? Because I think he has to win. Uh, you know, I don't know. If he plays great in the semis and even in the finals, I, you know, I, Tony, I like to do it because people are so dismissive, just like they are in other sports, of anything that happened before they were born. Yeah, well, because Pelé is the greatest of all time. Yeah, I, I'm, hello? He is. And, and, and there's a guy who played where Messi played. Maradona. Yeah, Maradona. And Maradona. he won. Yeah. And so, you know, this notion that it had, it's playful. I don't, I'm not going to pretend I know enough about the history of, you know, international football to make a real case. I'm not, I'm not. I like tweaking people who just come out and say, oh, yeah, Messi's the greatest of all time. It's hands down. Really? Yeah, I wouldn't, I don't, I honestly don't think, the World Cup's tough because you have about three in your prime. You because know, it's every four years. So in an yeah. eight-year span, you can get three. Nine-year span, you can get three of them. And I don't make this case against anybody who hasn't won in baseball or football or basketball, but I am persuaded that if you win a lot, it's a big deal. I mean, it's like it's Tom Brady's resume. You, you, it's, you cannot... You play to, you play to win yeah, those sorts I mean, of things. You can't yell anything other than Tom Brady's the greatest of all time because of all the times he's won. I don't know if it's the same in soccer... But he comes from a country that's big enough. You know, it's not like you're coming from a, like Wales, where you have no right. chance to win. Yeah. He's got Argentina's chances. Argentina's won three. Yeah, he's got but chances. he hasn't won. That's right. So, I, so this is part of what I say to people. But anyway, it's, yes, Tony, I am riveted by it. I told, you, I told you less than 10 years ago I was going to just make it my business to pay attention. To soccer. And go. Yeah. And I, I have gone, and, and, and I didn't, you know, the last three years, nobody's gone really anywhere internationally. I'm going to, to go again next year to, I'm going to try to go to Champions League. I've, I've been to a Premier League game. I've been to World Cup in Russia uh, four years ago. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to go. Okay. And, and, and I'm glad I have gone because it's, it's it, like anything else, Tony, these, these great spectacles – I don't need them to be endorsed by every Archie Bunker in America to understand the greatness of it. I don't need that. I can go myself, and I can see. I went to Chelsea and met Pulisic. Uh, when was that? Three years ago, in 19, in the fall of 19. And I wanted to, I, you know, I'm going to do that again. I'm going to pick some place to go where it's fascinating, where there's some great club. And I, again, I'd like to see Champions League. I get that. Let me give you credit for the, the most amazing thing. The most amazing thing. Minnesota and Detroit, where Michael Wilbon said, I said, this is absurd that Detroit is favored. Minnesota has to be favored. And Wilbon said, I don't care who's favored. Detroit's going to win the game. Detroit will win the game. You had that. You did. That, it was easy. That, that wasn't even hard. Hmm. Tony, I watch these teams. The, the Bears, Packers, Lions, and Vikings are, to me, what the Giants, Redskins, Cowboys, and Eagles are to you. Yeah. I've yeah. spent 60 years watching every week of those teams. So I, I, I don't, you know, I don't need Vegas to tell me who the best teams are. And I certainly am not going to predict every game properly. But that, to me, I told you six weeks ago, 
when the Vikings were 5-1 and one or whatever it was. I said to you, Tony, the Vikings are going to lose to the Lions. And, and the Bears. And they are. Yeah. Now, the, the Bears have no players anymore. Everybody's hurt. But they got fields. Do you, are you impressed as I am? Are you impressed with the sort of resurrection of the career of Jared Goff? He is now a top 15 quarterback. Um, I probably thought he was anyway. Did you? I did not. Okay. Yeah, and I don't, you know, um, Goff is a guy I've, I've, I've followed in person. I watched him play against Northwestern at at least twice. Uh, cause we played them back to back years when he was a quarterback at Cal. Yeah. So I saw him home and away. Um, and I, I, I liked him. I didn't love him. But, Tony, they, their offense has been on display all year. They, they score a lot of points. They give up a lot of points. They're, they're actually sort of fun to watch. But you had so that they're, one they're right. Like, they're like a two-week delayed version of the Washington football team. Yeah, you, you, you had that right. One other thing. I know the Cowboys looked like dogs for most of yeah. that game, but the last five minutes of that game, yeah. when they stopped Houston cold, which is stupid, Houston should have kicked a field goal to make it Im- imperative that the Cowboys score a touchdown, but they stopped them cold, and then they went down the field. That was, and I know it's Houston, but Mike, that you, you get a lot of respect when you have a last five minutes like that, right? Yeah, because they're games, I mean, you're not going to just roll everybody. I mean, you, you would think they would roll Houston at home in Dallas. Right. But they couldn't. Right. Um, I watched a lot of that game, um, which was not available to – I don't have satellite here in Chicago. I've got, I, I do have Red Zone, and I've got, I've got you know, what everybody else has. So I watched – I got to see snippets of that game. And the Cowboys just looked sort of disinterested early, like, yeah, right, come on. We got to go – we got to play – you got to make, make us play these people? <laughs> That's the definition of trap game. Yeah. Yeah, and so you know they're not going to do that when the coming games they've got to play, and they they, they need to win and get home field. Look, the, the, the Dallas Cowboys are as good as anybody. I, I agree. Mean, I mean, Kansas City struggled. Yes, Mahomes had three interceptions. And I think Tony, if you ask me right now, you pin me down and say, "Tell me the Super Bowl teams right now. Who's going to play in February?" I'm going to say to you today, I think it's the Bengals and Dallas. I, I would not be dismissive of that. I mean, I, I'm every week I'm more and more impressed with Jalen Hurts, who I, yeah. I've been telling yeah, you for yeah, six yeah, weeks I, the I, MVP. No for me to argue against but Cincinnati, it just isn't. Cincinnati looks good. They look good. They they do look good. Uh, let and me. They're coming at they're, they're doing it at the right time, and they just got some players, Tony, who look like <laughs> they got mean intentions. And I'm saying that complimentary. I, I mean, you know, they got two receivers. And two running backs. They got four guys. Everybody makes a big deal out of San Francisco's guys. And it's good news that Debo Samuels is not, you know, high. No, he'll be okay. He four weeks. Wait, thank you for mentioning them because Brock Purdy looked yeah. better than Jimmy Garoppolo. Yes, he is. I, I mean. Yes, he is. <laughs> he doesn't throw. Every ball is not a foot behind the receiver. Oh. Forcing the receiver to move into a position which makes him completely vulnerable to get missiled. Um, he looked so, good, but but Cincinnati, but Joe Burrow has those weapons are oh, Tony. If they're not every bit as good as San Francisco's, they're damn close. Um, so I can see yes. the Bengals beating Kansas City or Buffalo. 
Um, who else in the AFC have I left out? Well, you left out Miami and Baltimore, but I don't put I them don't on the same category. On the same level as Kansas City. I don't. Buffalo. I don't think they are. So I, I can see Cincinnati winning, um, and the Cowboys. But I can I see San Francisco winning now. Like you yeah. know, I, I think the Cowboys yesterday. I think that was a good win ultimately, because they were down and looked like they were out, and they had the resourcefulness to say, "No, no, 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 we're not going down like this." Agree to these people. Totally agree. Totally agree. Yeah. All right, I'll talk to you later. All right, Tom. Michael Wilbon, boys and girls, we'll take a break. Jeff Passan will join us. We'll wrap up all of well, all the free agency isn't done, but we'll wrap up what's already been done. Um, I got to say this before we get out. Carville. Oh. Kate, Carville's record. Talk about a heater. Carville went, and he was all over the map. He, had, he went six and four because he had the three play on the Lions and the Vikings, and he picked the Lions. Carville's record is 46-30-2. He's 11-0 on these multi-level picks. He's 46-30-2. If he's betting... On the things he tells me he's betting? We think he is. <laughs> then he's, he's doing, having a and, great year. And again, year. he did eight games? I mean, yeah, he did a lot of games. a lot. Yeah, he just, he's gone nuts. He lost the first game. He lost Army-Navy. Yeah. And then he, then he did very well after that. 46-30-2. And, and the monkey is 27-14-1. Was the monkey 2-1 again? So, monkey's always 2-1. <laughs> monkey's always 2-1. <laughs> Jeff Passon, we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, this is Mike Bailey from Big Pine Key in the Florida Keys. This is a song called Crazy Like a Daisy. Every time I see, I misread it originally and said, I thought it said cry like a daisy, which immediately makes me say, when I think about the good love you gave me, I cry like a baby. The Box Tops, one of the great songs ever. The Box Tops had three Alex, or four great songs. Alex. And, and he, he's, he passed away. Oh, he did. Alex Chilton. Yes, that's right. That he was passed away. Yeah. He, was, he was the American version of um, Stevie Winwood. Like yeah. a 16-year-old who just lit it up. Yeah, just great old. pipes. What kind of voice is this? Michael, if uh, people like Mike Bailey want to send us their original music, how do they do so? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at tonycornizershow.com. Are we selling anything or are we good? Yeah, we always, uh, we always have the steel tumblers and some various show shirts like the bet with Reginald. I roll with Reginald at shop.tonycornizershow.com where Rob is always willing to take your order. Jeff Passan joins us now, and he was at the winter meetings, uh, the baseball winter meetings in San Diego, uh, where he got very little sleep and is feeling the effects now. But let us... Let us take two wide views here. And the first wide view is the most surprising signing, and the second wide view is the most impactful signing. They could be the same person, as far as I know. It's, it's your call. But what was the most surprising signing to you, Jeff? I would say Xander Bogart's going to the Padres. Me too. No, yeah. A, not, a 23rd be- shortstop for that team. Yeah, what are you doing? It, it, it wasn't because... 
he went to the Padres because, honestly, it seems like the Padres sign whoever they want right now, and they're one of two teams that is taking that tack, like, hey, let's go out and spend. Don't know what we're going to do with it, but we'll make it work because good players work. Uh, it, it It was more surprising just because of the fact that the Boston Red Sox, Tony, allowed themselves to get into this position again where a somebody who has meant an enormous amount to their franchise is no longer going to be spending uh, the, the twilight of his career with them. We saw this Mookie. with John, Le- John Lester yes, yeah. first yeah. In, in a very similar situation where there was a lowball offer a year before free agency, the player scoffed at it, and uh, in the end... I don't know if there was something that was irreparable, but the, the Red Sox almost couldn't repair, uh, repair their own error. Uh, and then Mookie Betts being traded, like you said, to the Dodgers. Yeah, and yeah. and uh, of, of, all the, uh, you know, of all the players we're talking about here, Mookie Betts is the best. But let's not discount how great Xander Bogarts has been over the course of his career. Uh, great enough where the Padres felt comfortable giving him 11 years and $280 million, which was just... An obscene number, considering Trey Turner earlier in the week had gotten 11 years and $300 million, and at the time, that felt like a lot. Well, I will say this, that you are paying Bogarts at 39, 40, and 41 years old an awful lot of money, but I'll, I'll ask the specific question here. When you see this happen to a team like the Red Sox, a competitive team and a profitable team, and a team that has been very, very successful... It's only, it seems to me, it's only one of two answers here. One is that it's dictated by ownership, or two is that it's bad management. Which is it? I, I think it could be either, and honestly, it could be both. Um, the, the, the idea that financial flexibility, which is what the Red Sox were going for when they traded Mookie Betts, the idea that that applies to a team like the Boston Red Sox is uh, I'm, uh, the, the first old-timey term that came into my head. It, it's poppycock. Yeah. It's, it's, it's absurdity. Um, I'm sorry, Tony, but if there is a world in which the San Diego Padres are spending $250-plus million a year on payroll, the San Diego Padres, then the Boston Red Sox should be there and should be above that. If there's a world in which the New York Mets, and I'm sure you were going to get to them, yeah. the New York Mets, including the luxury tax, are on pace right now to spend over $420 million on payroll. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh. If there's a world in which they're doing that, then the Boston Red Sox should not be thinking about financial flexibility. What you should think of is you find your core players and you do not ever let them play anywhere else. Or at very least, you get the best years out of them. And uh, we, we see this formula, Tony, down in Atlanta. The reason that the Braves are set up better than just about anyone is because they have done this with Austin Riley, with Ronald Acuna, with Ozzy Albies, with Michael Harris with uh, with Spencer Strider. I mean, you can go on and on. Of all the great deals that Alex Anthopoulos has signed down there, there are different ways to build ball clubs, but that is the best one, 
and the most efficient one for both your owner and your fans, where you can placate everyone by winning, but not spending a whole lot to do it. The Red Sox are just doing the not spending a whole lot yeah, right it's, now. It's, it's very odd. They are so profitable. They sell out every seat, every game. It's so profitable. I, I don't really understand. Yeah, it's turned in there a little, though, Tony. You, you know, one thing that's really interesting to me is watching fan bases turn on franchises. Um, it, it doesn't happen all that often or all that acutely, but when it does happen in real time, it is quite something to see. And I think social media actually uh, foments it a little more than, than we've seen in the past, where fans can organize together, fans can bitch together, they get to mm. spend every night talking about these little microaggressions against their fandom. This was a macroaggression with Xander Bogarts leaving, because in Boston... He was a beloved figure, just like Mookie was and just like John Lester was. Yeah. What's the most impactful signing to you? I think it's probably Aaron Judge with the Yankees. And I know really? that's a hmm. – I think that's a cop-out. I think Aaron Judge is impactful in two ways. Number one, the bat. Uh, it's unimpeachable. He had one of the best seasons we've ever seen last year. And – uh, beyond that, I, I think it dovetails, Tony, with what we were just talking about with the Red Sox. I think if Aaron Judge left, and we had a little trial balloon of this, when when Aaron Judge had the tweet go out there that Giants were were you know appeared to be ahead or, or however it was phrased. I think the Yankees saw what life was going to be like without Aaron Judge and what the reaction for people were. And you want to talk about impact? Impact is the New York Yankees fan base believing that the most widely known franchise in the United States, along with the Dallas Cowboys, it's like Yankees and Cowboys and Lakers. It's North American sports franchise royalty. That their New York Yankees couldn't sign the guy coming off one of the best seasons of all time because of money. So it, impact in two ways, I think, on the field as well as in salvaging a fan base that really was beginning to get skeptical of ownership. I, you know, I get that. Um, I do. I think that there are ancillary benefits to signing people beyond what they do on the field. And Judge was very popular, and everybody yep. knows that he's with 62 you have to have a monument for him. He's got that great number 99, which is so different than everybody else's. There's a larger oh. thing than Aaron Judge out there. And with that as a background, I'll ask you this, because I don't believe, I mean, I believe if Aaron Judge decided to go, I believe it was not going to be about money. So he could get money. Did you yeah. expect Judge to stay in New York or did you expect him to go? I expected it, and and it was one of those, I, there's, there's nothing, Tony, in the world that I despise more than predictions on where free agents are going to go. There's just, there's nothing, nothing good about them happens. If you're right, uh, yeah, you work for ESPN, dumbass, of course you're right. <laughs> and if you're not, then, then you look like the dumbass that they actually think you are deep right. down. Right. So uh, my, my, my reason why I said Aaron Judge is going to go back to New York was as rooted in logic as I could make it for something that ultimately can be an irrational decision, an emotional decision. And that logic was uh, the New York Yankees uh, suffer more 
by letting Aaron Judge go than they do signing him. This was always going to be a catch-22 signing, Tony. Like, they were always going to pay much more than they wanted to or than they should have. But the pain of losing Aaron Judge and the fallout from that was disproportionately high. And so if it is money that the New York Yankees need to bite the bullet on, that is something that they literally and figuratively can't afford. You mentioned the Mets before. Um, Well, the Phillies did a great thing. The Phillies stole 12 wins from the Mets, which is smart. And the Mets went and they got Verlander and DeGrom left. Did you... Now, DeGrom is dicey, and I'm saying this as somebody who lives in a city where Steven Strasburg can't get on the mound. He can't get on the mound. DeGrom gets hurt every single year. So if you tell me I'm going to let him walk, if you own the Mets, you say I'm going to let him walk, I'm not going to get angry at that. But when DeGrom is out there, he's a fabulous pitcher. Why would he go to Texas, a non-competitive place, and do you think that Verlander, who probably has one to two years left, completely makes people forget DeGrom this year? One, I think Texas is trying to buy its way into relevancy right now. They've got a pretty good farm system, actually. A really deep farm system, more than, like, top-end guaranteed star talent. Um, but it's good farm system depth, which you need for, for long-term viability. And, uh, frankly, Jacob DeGrom followed the money. And, okay. I do not, and I do not begrudge him one bit no. for that. I think... I think he liked the direction that the Rangers were going, certainly, but compared to where the Mets are, like it's it's tough to to prefer the direction of a team that won sixty eight games last year. And granted, it had horrible luck in one run games. And I think the Rangers are going to absolutely be improved this year. But the they they were willing to give them one hundred eighty five million dollars, and the Mets weren't anywhere in the vicinity of that. So. Uh, he followed the money. In terms of Verlander replacing the production, yeah. Uh, I, I think if you have both at their best, Jacob deGrom is a better pitcher. But if you factor in that one of them is coming off a Cy Young award-winning season and one of them is coming off a season in which he threw not even half of his starts, then uh, there, there's a really good argument to be made that the Verlander contract is a much better one for the Mets. It's shorter term, yeah, it's higher AV, so yeah, but it's, it's going to take it's two years. But but yeah, yeah. Uh, then on the other hand, um, Justin Verlander's in his forties now, and Jen are going to be he's turning forty in uh, in February. And generally speaking, we do not see pitchers perform at elite rates into their forties. But maybe Justin Verlander's different. Well, he's got and a new the arm. Sure, the Mets sure hope he is. He's got, he had Tommy John, so maybe that yep. gives him, like his his season this year for a 39-year-old was fantastic. I'm not, I'm not sure I'd bet against him and Scherzer, although if they both get hurt at the same time at their age, that's it for the Mets. Let me get you out of here on this. I've been thinking about this because you, you mentioned how much money people spend. There are teams like Tampa and Oakland, they don't spend any money at all. Cleveland doesn't spend a whole lot of money. Minnesota doesn't seem to spend a whole lot of money. I wonder if division shouldn't be because, not because of geography, but because of spending. You know, maybe it would make it better, and maybe you could you more heavily weight playoff teams from the teams that spend a lot of money. Do, do, you, do you have any sort of sympathy for that notion? Tony, I grew up in Cleveland, and I live in Kansas City. If there's anyone who is going to have sympathy for the plight of the low-revenue mm. 
small media market team, it is me. Uh, and I see the San Diego Padres with the 27th ranked media market out there going and putting up a quarter billion dollars uh, on this team. And I, I ask myself, uh, as well as others, and, and this is not rhetorical, uh, why are they able to do it and others are not? And listen, maybe the Padres have cracked the code, Tony. Maybe the Padres have figured out this financial puzzle. Their television deal is better than other small markets. They've gotten investments from, uh, you know, other firms on the outside. Or maybe it's just really simple and they're actually committed to winning more than others. I, I, I get that fans with teams that have small payrolls um, can feel like the sport is against them. And, and this, is, this is the perception problem that baseball or uncapped sports in general have, that the, there is too great of a divide between the haves yeah, and the have feels nots. that way. Feels that yeah, way. Uh, understandably so. Um, but I, I think the retort to that is that the divide doesn't necessarily need to exist, and the divide doesn't necessarily either um, prevent teams from being in the mix. Is it easier to have long-term sustainability and to get more lotto tickets into the playoff drawing every year if you have more money? Denying that would be foolish. Yeah, but yes. Tampa Bay's there all the time. You know They are there all the time, and Cleveland is there all the yeah. time, like you mentioned. Like, yeah. there, there are ways around it. It's just difficult, and uh, considering that there is no way that the Major League Baseball Players Association ever is going to accept a, cap. a capped system, That's right. That's uh, right. I, I, what I choose to do or what I try to do is find as much joy in the sport as it is right now and appreciate teams like Tampa and Cleveland even more for what they're able to do. Thank you, Jeff. Hope you feel better. Thanks so very much. I hope I didn't sound like a total disaster, Tony. Thanks, no, buddy. No, no, not a disaster <laughs> at all. Wonderful. Jeff Fasson, boys and girls, we'll take a break. Uh, we will have email and jingle when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. He's got your emails and your notes. Sean's not with us anymore. Well, he's with us in spirit. Yes, but we miss Sean. Sean keeps telling me to take a vacation because then he can be back on the show. I love Sean. Sean. He's like the most most capable person I've ever met. He can fix anything. So reassuring on the phone. Totally capable. No, he's the best. Do you want to do the Bethesda Bagel ad, please? Yes, Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. And I want to tease listeners. We have some audio from Tony and Cigna Insurance. That's going to be the closing drop today. Just want to prep everyone. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say, I saw her today at the reception, a glass of wine in her hand. I knew she would meet her connection at her feet was a footloose man. Now, you can't always get what you want. 
You can't always get what you want. You can't always get what you want, but if you try sometime, you just might find you can get what you need. Not only is that a great tune, but um, what's the Kevin Klein movie? Big Chill. Big Chill. Yeah. So that's the open. Yes. That's the open of the Big Chill as everybody files into Alex's funeral. Yes. I mean, it is just fantastic. Thanks to our guest today. Michael Wilbon, Jeff Passan. Thanks to our sponsors, Solo Stove, Freshly, Policy Genius. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple, please leave us a review. From Steve Mack in Charleston, you've been the voice in my head for over 20 years now, from the ESPN days, the internet show, and multiple incarnations of the podcast. And now analytics have quantified just how much time we've spent together this year. According to the data robots at Spotify. Oh, yeah, Spotify rap. I have spent 11,082 minutes listening to the show this year. That's 185 <laughs> hours of my life that I will never get back. But it was time well spent. Thank you for being you. I appreciate that. Thank you. From Peter Manis or Mains, and I don't know how it's, it's pronounced, who is a rhinology and endoscopic skull-based surgeon and an associate professor at the Yale School of Medicine. Doctor? Not familiar with that Doctor. school. During it's your Yale recent a. description of your appointment with a neurosurgeon, one where I hope you also introduced yourself as doctor. No, I didn't have the <laughs> goal to do as that. As a fellow, a fellow doctor. I finally had a real David Aldridge moment. When you said Kevin McGrail, who is the head, the department chairman of neurosurgery at Georgetown. When you said Kevin McGrail, I said, I know that doctor. In 2004, I began training as an ear, nose, and throat physician at Georgetown University Hospital. My first month at the hospital was spent on neurosurgery under the direction of Dr. McGrail. He is exactly as you described him, brilliant, kind, and affable. I'll never forget standing in front of him, telling him about his patients and offering my suggestions as to what we should do next. He looked me over, never acknowledging the fact that I'd been out of medical school for about 12 hours and simply <laughs> said, in response to my ridiculous plans, that's okay, buddy, we got this. <laughs> on another note, it's so great. Another note, if it isn't taken, I'd like to be the official otolaryngologist of the Tony Kornheiser Show. I don't plan to take this role as simply ceremonial. I'm happy to travel with you and fill out your foursome at Kinlock with you, me, Michael, whichever <laughs> member you decide to take nice up on you. their offer. I'll be there to make sure no one gets a nosebleed and to make sure that no one on any team of mine wins a whole nosebleed. Yeah, let's save that. So let's save that yeah. because the boys, I think the kids some, of the boys, some of the boys are doing that. Uh, from Phil DeCito in Rome, New York, which is in upstate New York near Syracuse. On Thursday's show, this was sent to us a week or so ago. Uh, on the show, you told Pablo Torre that Death of a Salesman is the greatest American play. I was surprised by this because I've always been told and thought that West Side Story was the greatest American play. Why Death of a Salesman and what's your top five American plays? I'll hang up and listen. West Side Story is a musical. There is a difference, and there is a difference on mm -hmm. Broadway between what are right. called straight plays and right. what are called musicals. West Side Story is the greatest musical. Yeah. Well, Tales from Margaritaville, I think, was It's close. awfully good. Yes. But West Side Story and the legs of West Side Story are just unbelievable over some long period of time. When you right. consider that West Side Story is Romeo and Juliet and, and the brilliance it took to put this together and then stage it in the way that it's staged, it's the greatest musical. Death of a Salesman, for me, is the greatest American play. You know, that there no, there's no music involved unless somebody's singing in the shower in one of the scenes or something like that. I don't rank the it's top. It's take on Biff. I don't do the top five, Biff and Hap. I don't do the top five because I don't, you know, I, I didn't study it. I, in other words, I have studied it. I could come up with a list, but like not off the top sure. of my head. From Sean in Milwaukee. Michael should take ring dings and Pepsi to the potluck. He would instantly become the hit of the potluck. Oh. Ring dings are next time. The holidays are coming up. Next potluck. From Jim Tippett in Bethany Beach in Delaware. 
I'm offended by omis- my, my omission. Sincerely, Mr. Ed. P.S. A horse is a horse, of course, of course. Mm. And no one can talk to a horse, of right. course. That is, of course, unless the horse is the famous Mr. Ed. Go right to the source and ask the horse. He'll give you the answer that you'll endorse. He's always on a steady course. Talk to Mr. Ed. From Jeff Barger, or Barger, in Hillsborough, North Carolina, who's emailed us before. When talking about the great TV theme songs, attention must be paid to the theme from Mr. Downtown. Right, from the Oneaters movie, of oh, course. <laughs> Freddie Fredrickson tune, Darkness Falls and the Night's Begun. The River of Light Burns as Bright as the Sun. Under the Waning Moon is Danger to be Found. This song was written by somebody named Tom Hanks. I think he was the manager of Captain Geach and the Shrimp Shack Shooters. <laughs> Maybe. Another legendary band of a bygone era. Mr. Downtown. Mr. Downtown. It's a great call. It's really <laughs> so good. From Ben Franco in Baltimore. Although a millennial, I have thoroughly enjoyed the recent discussions about Bonanza, one of my mother's favorite shows we would watch together, and she would share stories of growing up in a Christian home when they were not allowed to watch television on Sundays, that is, until Bonanza came on. Apparently on the seventh day, God rested until 9 p.m. Eastern. (laughs) Also, fun fact, since Michael briefly mentioned Brooklyn Nine-Nine, the actor who played Hitchcock is none other than Dirk Blocker, son of Dan Blocker, who was Haas on Bonanza. Connective tissue. Yes, absolutely. Uh, from Bill Isaacson. This is the theme to Gary's show, the theme to Gary's show. Gary called me up and asked if I would write his theme song. Uh, yes. I'm almost halfway finished. How do you like it so far? How do you like the theme to Gary's show? This is the theme to Gary's show, the opening theme to Gary's show. This is the music that you hear as you watch the credits. We're almost to the part where I start to whistle. Then we'll watch it's Gary Shandling's show. And that was the theme to Gary Shandling's show. And that was written by Gary Shandling and Alan Zweibel while riding on an elevator. <laughs> while riding on an elevator. From Mark Birnbaum, Mr. Tony, long time, second time. We are big New York Giants fans. The woman to whom I'm related by marriage and I live in L.A., but we are both from Long Island. I am a Hewlett High and Binghamton graduate. I had to give my wife the bad news that the monkey, with his great record, picked the commanders over against our Giants last week. My wife responded that Reginald is on our blank list. At that point, I felt a great deal of warmth from my wife. I'm just so lucky to be married to her. Why? Because she is a great wife and mother, an all-star teacher, someone who everyone loves? No. Because she knew the monkey's name was Reginald. <laughs> Keep up the good work, Mark Burnham. Reginald's name ID is soaring with his recent run. From Steve yes. Ryan in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Not to brag, but I received an invitation to the state dinner at the White House. Sadly, they didn't include a parking pass, so I respect <laughs> Good move. P.S. I really didn't get an invite, but if it didn't include a parking pass, well, you know what I'm saying here. From Jonathan Scriven, who was in Nice. Yes, long For time. years in Nice, France, and now is in Urbana, Maryland, which doesn't seem... It's comparable. Anything it's an com- interesting cultural <laughs> parallel there. Hi, Tony. A couple of quick things. First, does anyone know when the road work on University Boulevard between the Beltway and the University of Maryland is going to be completed? It drives me crazy every yeah. single day. Second, as an expression of gratitude for all the years of entertainment, I too want to get in on the golf invitations. I work a few miles from the Sligo Creek Golf Course in Silver Spring, and well, let's just say I can get you in a foursome on the course pretty much any day of the week. If you and or Michael want to take Sligo for a spin, I'm your guy. P.S. I actually think when I was coaching a golf team that played Murray at Sligo Creek, when Michael was on the Murray team back in the early to mid-2000s, does it sound like it could be right? sounds exactly correct. (laughs) Did you play at Sligo Creek? I remember I birdied one of the first three holes. It's good to know. Thanks. Well From Bill Garner in North Potomac, Maryland. I, too, am afraid to crash while flying, but the last person I would fly with is that dope who just flew into the electrical tower. 
You said you flew with him because he was calm. You'd fly with him because he was calm on his call after he just flew into an electrical tower. Calm. I know his name, but he's probably embarrassed enough. When he gets the bill, he may have wished for a different ending. And, and who are you? The pilot. Yeah. The, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah, you won't give your name. Who's you won't be able one? to miss us. This yeah, is from Mary Madden in Merrimack, Massachusetts. I was watching the Ken Burns documentary on baseball the other night. They made reference to Hall of Famer Napoleon Lajouet and pronounced his last name exactly like T-Boys, Lajouet. I'm assuming they share the same last name. According to Carville, the boy in T-Boy was a reference to his diminutive stature. My father also suffered from a painful case of sciatica. He had to have surgery to remove bone spurs within his sciatic canal. He was only able to get a modicum relief from a combination of ibuprofen, Jim Beam Manhattans, and periodically sitting on a bag of frozen peas. I once came home for a traditional Sunday roast beef dinner during this time. The dinner had barely commenced when a sour look came over my father's face. While lifting his napkin to his mouth, he asked my mother if she had found the peas he was eating in the freezer door. When she shyly replied in the affirmative, we quickly realized these were the peas my father had been freezing and sitting on countless times. Suffice to say, there were no longer any green veggies to enjoy with that meal. I was born, raised, and I've lived in the Boston area my whole life. Over these 60 years, I've been told by non-Bostonians that I have a thick Boston accent. If you think my accent would be noticeable with words such as Marblehead and Rivea, Try telling people that you live across the street from the park on the harbor with your good friends, Arthur and Martha. <laughs> on a business trip to Minneapolis, I met with my portfolio manager. After a few minutes, he made mention of my accent. My standard reply was to remind people that the Pilgrims landed just 35 miles south of me, so I must speak the King's English. To that point in time, that reply always got a chuckle. However, this time, the portfolio manager peered above his reading glasses and replied, I didn't realize the Pilgrims spoke so poorly. Suffice to say, it was a very short meeting. <laughs> Best regards and warm wishes for a speedy recovery. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone is always do wear white. Now, if there's anything I can do for you, but I certainly hope you'll die soon. soon. <laughs> Thank you, Cigna. Yeah. <laughs> Just like the sun In and out was always fun We'd paddle long and then we'd run For 20 miles we'd move as one Love all night And life all day I treasured all the games we'd play Dancing round the bigger plan Praying hard for her to land Hell. 
she'd fly in from Longboat Key Steal this night or two with me And I'd say, baby, let's change this game Come on back and lose the plane Baby, drive out 41 Make your way to Highway 1 There's 30 bridges, then there's one It's seven miles into the sun Brother lost on a crossing field. Nothing left, I watched her go. She took the heart I'd come to love. She flew back to Longboat Key. Left this heartfelt song in me. Last I heard, she said, sail. Cross these straits to Mario Baby, drive back 41 And make your way to Highway 1 There's 30 bridges, then there's one It's seven miles into the sun Like a loon 
Come back soon. 